All right, so welcome back to this, the eighth episode of The Gathering Podcast from Startwell, where we sit down with people in people and culture and hear their tales of um, of working in this new hybrid reality and also just in general to get a sense of what the modern way of working is with remote teams and teams that are distributed uh, and all the uh, pains and joy that come with it. So today I'm in studio with uh, Reza from uh, Wave and it's a pleasure to have you here, man. Likewise, uh, happy to be here. Very excited. Um, so Reza, let's jump into a little bit of background, okay? Mm-hmm. Give us a sense of, of the company you work at, what you guys do uh, to start with, and then we'll dig in a little bit about your career history if you're cool with that. Okay, sounds good. Um, so at Wave, we serve uh, small business owners, uh, micropreneurs. Uh, small business owner has uh, sort of a broad definition. We focus on the smaller end of small businesses, the average employee that we serve or the average employer that we serve has 1.2 employees. So most of these are single person. Sorry, rewind. 1.2. Yes. So the average. So most of these are single person operation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's where it basically schools to. And uh, we um, uh, focus on this market because it's uh, where uh, we feel like there's uh, not a lot of attention being given to these micro businesses and small business owners even though there are millions of them out there. Mm-hmm. Every year, every month, tens of thousands start something. It could be a side hustle. It could be some passion that they've had that they now want to turn into a business. And one of the questions early on that come up is, um, how do I do my invoicing if I have customers? How do I manage my books? How do I become compliant? How do I do my taxes? If I bring in a contractor to help me, how do I manage the payroll for the contractor? So a whole bunch of questions come up for them. Many of them start with shoebox accounting, which is basically using pen and paper and keeping everything that way. Uh, it's, it's it, it works early on, maybe very, very early on, the first few weeks and months. Yeah, but until it, you have to find a receipt and then you're like, oh my God, what am I doing? Yep. Comes tax time. It would be very difficult to kind of consolidate things if you need to work with a CPA they're going to hate that. They're like, this is going to be expensive going through all of this. So um, the at the core of Wave is uh, we want to be that um, operating system that automates a lot of these financial services and needs and complexities and takes them away and handles them so that the business owners, the micro business owners, mm-hmm. entrepreneurs can focus on where they can generate value, which is generally their passion. If you're a photographer, if you're on a recording studio, bookkeeping is not the thing that you are it's interested in. the opposite of what you're interested in. Exactly. Until you get audited by the CRA. <laughs> True. Uh, hopefully never. If you use Wave, you wouldn't probably. Uh, but uh, yeah, but that, that's the thing. Like We want to take that pain away. Make sure that you have the time and resources to put through your business. These other things, how you bookkeep things, how you record your transactions, how you record your expenses on the bookkeeping side, how you invoice your customers, how you collect the payments from them, how do those payments land in your bank account. We go and automate all of this. And a unique thing about Wave and part of it's always been part of our general core belief is our accounting and invoicing product are completely free. Mm-hmm. There's nobody else out there in the market with really good quality. We generally rank in the top five uh, with many other competitors. I'm not going to name names, but mm-hmm. dark competitors, if you look online for invoicing and accounting, and we usually rank in the top five, often closer to the very top, uh, if not at the top. Um, and we offer this for free because it's part of that core belief that as a small business owner, micro business owner, where you're not getting a lot of the attention there, there aren't a lot of people building software for you, building services for you. 
you just started something. We don't want you to feel like you have to go $50, $100, $200 in the red every month just to get access to bookkeeping and invoicing, which is what a lot of our competitors would do. You would go and sign up for a subscription. Mm-hmm. Maybe first month is trial, but after that, you're paying 100 bucks a month just to do those bookkeepings. And as a small business owner, you have two transactions. You don't even yeah. do that much of it. Yeah, exactly. So then you're always trying to like justify these expenses, mm-hmm. wasting too much time operating them. And it takes you, like, I guess the thing is enable people to focus on their business as much as possible. And then the the business model is, I guess, you have uh, added services on top or added features that people pay for. So as they grow, they they actually start paying you money. Correct. Huh? Yeah. So um, let's say you use our invoicing product and your customers pay you with check, cash, interact. That's all free. Just collect the payment. But if you want to go to the next level and enable card payments on your invoices. So you can send that invoice, your customer can open it, pay it with their credit card, debit card, Visa, MasterCard, Amex, prepaid, doesn't matter, any of those we support, or pay directly out of their bank account with an ACH or EFT transaction. We enable that for you as well. So that speeds up your cash flow, makes it more convenient for your customers, and makes the small business also look more legitimate to their customers, because this is a small business owner who is now allowed to accept payments online. Mm -hmm. They must have gone through some due diligence, which is true. They would have to go through some online due diligence. A lot of it is, again, automated. We won't ask you to fax documents or anything. Uh, But but that's basically the payment side. So we charge a per transaction fee, so 1% if it's an ACH transaction or EFT transaction, um, 2.9% plus 60 cents if it's a card transaction, Mm -hmm. so Visa or MasterCard payment, for example. And uh, this means the business owner doesn't have to chase the check, doesn't have to set up the Intrac and send the Intrac email and everything, and all those issues that exist with Intrac. It's safe, secure, it's convenient, it's professional, and it's easy, and the funds in Canada land in your bank account next day. So your customer pays you 2 p.m., you send them the invoice 2 p.m. today, the customer receives the invoice, they pay, and tomorrow morning, sometime around 9 a.m., the money lands in your bank account. Can't get easier than that. We often hear from these small business owners that cash flow uh, is one of their primary challenges. Mm It sometimes makes a huge difference getting access to the funds now versus two days from now. Oh, 100%. I mean, yeah, no matter what the size of business you are, I mean, I think anyone facing this kind of the last, anyone who's lived the last couple of years is, is going to be concerned with cash flow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and we have the payroll product. Payroll is a SaaS subscription, a small business payroll, fairly reasonably priced. It's not uh, super cheap, but it's also cheaper than many competitors. And it meets the needs of micro businesses, small business owners. If you have a, a handful of contractors, if you have five, six employees, if you have 50 employees, we don't even recommend our payroll mm. solution. It's not for you. It's you're, you're too big for our payroll solution. But 10, 15 is a really good range, and most of them are much smaller than that. Um, and they're happy, and they pay for that payroll solution. Uh, it's more involved. It has a lot of compliance, things that you need to file with IRS in the U.S., CRA sure. in Canada, a lot sure. of that. So those things have a cost. So that payroll, you can operate as a free model. But invoicing and accounting have been free and have stayed free since Wave has been around. Wow. We just found other ways of making money. And um, customers do appreciate that. We have customers on this long tail where they join Wave, use Wave for five years for free, and then eventually decide that, hey, I'm, I've grown out to the point where I need to bring in a couple of employees and contractors. I'm going to sign up for your payroll and pay for that. And I love Wave. I feel like I owe Wave something. You brought me all the way here right, uh, right. for free. I, I'm, I'm happy now to pay for your services. And that's the best thing. Like Customers paying when they are happy and they feel like well, they and, are getting the value. And being able to support that early stage growth. Like being there with a customer forming relationship that actually can grow and flex and you get to know each other and you help each other in different ways. Um, is the company from 
Canada or the States or where is it from? Oh, uh, we're Canadian. Uh, we're headquartered in uh, Lesseville. And, uh, oh, you're Bay actually issue. based in Toronto. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. uh, the headquarters are in Toronto. Uh, in 2019, we did get acquired by an American company, H&R Block. Uh, and uh, this was in 2019. And at the right time... Right before the pandemic. Yeah. Okay. And at the time, it was, I think, June 2019, we closed it. And at the time, it was the six or seventh largest acquisition of a tech company in Canada, which was pretty wow. big. Yeah. And um, it's been one of those really good acquisitions. I've been through and seen acquisitions where things don't go necessarily well. But uh, kind of H&R Block folks, when they acquired us, they were really nice. And they said, Wave, you're growing 30, 40% a year. Uh, Block is growing as a large 60, 70 year old enterprise, much, much smaller pace. So they said, you know what you're doing? Come to us when you need help. We'll figure out what synergies exist uh, and what opportunities exist for us to collaborate. But for now, operate as you are. And we've kept our culture. We've kept our uh, mission of helping small business owners. Hmm. Uh, we've kept um, our operating model for the most part, how we did. I think uh, very few things changed. Maybe we don't have a, uh, well, one thing changed, which was really, really good, which is we don't have to chase funding every couple of quarters. Yeah, that's a huge thing for an early stage or startup of any kind. Yeah. yeah. It allows you to think long-term. You can think and plan long-term. You can think of things that, uh, well, that piece of tech debt, we don't have to carry it anymore. We finally have an opportunity to fix it. As long as you still deliver on that goal of uh, uh, really rapid growth, uh, but you kind of get to balance the two things and get to a place where uh, you both deliver on growth, but also build a better organization from the ground up and infrastructure, and that's people infrastructure, as well as our software and technology and solutions and office and everything, essentially. But it gives you that opportunity to think long-term. So it's oh, been a very sure. positive acquisition. No, it sounds it sounds like the rare, rare case that, you know, from the number of people I talk to about M&A, uh, always being this kind of aqua-hire, weird, mm -hmm. mixed motive kind of process, this sounds very much the opposite. This is like how it should be done. No, it's, it's the model exactly for how it should be done. Um, okay, so what was Headcount like as a Toronto-based company? You mentioned in Leslieville. For our non-Toronto audience, Leslieville is a beautiful neighborhood. We had a guest a couple episodes ago who's um, an, an agency called Zero Alpha Kilo, and they're building on Queen Street East in Leslieville. They're building a new building for their agency, creative agency. Um, so some of you listeners may already know that it's a lovely neighborhood that is mainly residential, uh, just outside of the downtown core, but still in really what we call downtown Toronto. Um, so, yeah, tell me about the headcount and, and, and what the office kind of feel was going through this, you know, acquisition. Not that it sounds like it impacted anything in terms of your operations, but just before the pandemic. And then what happened when when 2020 rolled around? <laughs> yeah, um, uh, lots of memories of that. So um, we were, um, I think, close to 280-something. Uh, we're now 360 uh, so 280 when the acquisition happened. Again, I'm trying to remember the correct number, but somewhere in that vicinity. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, it was 87 people when I joined the company in 2016. Uh, so uh, those are the milestones. When I joined 87, then at the time of acquisition, 280-something. And then today we're at up above 360, 365 maybe, uh, with some recent group that we onboarded. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was it was an interesting time. We th things are working. We were happy with the acquisition and the results of that, and how things worked out. And we were executing as good as ever. Now with the backing and balance sheet of a larger organization, which gives you that margin of safety and long term thinking. So everybody was super excited about that. And then uh, late uh, 2019, early 2020, there's gradually whispers of something going around. 
uh, started, if you remember, in Asia first. You hear the news and everything. Like, this is SARS version 2. It's going to leave us alone for the most part. But, uh, of course, it didn't. And uh, gradually, sometime in uh, late January, early February, we hear of people in the office getting sick mm-hmm. and staying home. And there's no detection, easy detection yet, if I remember, at that point. So, uh, no home test kits or anything. But they stay home and they avoid it. And the office starts getting quieter. Now, we were in a remote company, but we always had the flexibility that it's a Friday, you want to work from home, or you have a doctor's appointment midday, just work from home, your doctor is two yeah. blocks from home. You weren't necessarily like clocking in and out on the timesheet when you come in the door. Exactly. It's very, it's very trust, fortunately, thankfully. Yeah. Uh, it's very trust-based and outcome-based as long as you're doing a good job. Um, you Being in the office necessarily is not mandated. Uh, but most people just came to the office. Majority were in the office. We had a few folks who worked, like uh, one out of Denver, another one out of Vancouver, uh, a couple of folks on the East Coast. So we had a bit of that mix, but mm. most came to the office. Like 90% came to the office very regularly, at least four days a week. Uh, I was in the office five days unless a Friday or something event or something but to get out earlier. Um, but uh, yeah, um, but we, people started disappearing kind of like you see, you see your colleagues sitting next to you in rows and it's an open flat office and you see like two days away, somebody's not sitting there. Hey, Jim is gone. Hey, Sarah is not there anymore. What's happening? You start pinging and yeah, yeah they, they caught this thing and they uh, are of course thinking of everybody else and trying to stay home. Also taking care of their family. Mm-hmm. One person is sick, couple, one is sicker, the other is not. So they take care, take care of each other. So all that is happening. And then the WHO announcement comes that this is a global pandemic and then the shutdown orders and all of that come. And uh, uh, we were getting prepared. So the people and culture team was sending regular messages to the waivers that uh, here's, this is the latest evolution of this. These are the latest things we've heard. And also we're in touch with um, health uh, uh, bodies in Ontario and just uh, making sure that we have the latest information. If something changes, we are ready to execute that. Some of the IT stuff already started rolling and preparing for a place where we wouldn't be in the office. Nobody knew we wouldn't be in the office for like two years and never go back to that. Like that was not on the table. Like no way. Yeah, it was always yet. like one step at a time, even mm-hmm. though the steps were pretty uh, large steps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, no, we thought like a month or two and this thing goes away uh, and that's it. Well, everything goes back to normal. Uh, but yeah, uh, March 15th, um, if I remember correctly, was the date where we basically shut down the office. Nobody come to the office. Uh, if you have a stuff, come and get them, but come with mask and everything, mask up, be prepared. Mm-hmm. Hand sanitizers are everywhere now. Gradually, they start popping up on tables and on desks, but now there were the office sanitizers as well that were, were showing up here and there. And a uh, little scary, uh, like we didn't even know the impact and the level of uh, uh, health threat that this is at that point very well. Uh, and there were already variants uh, popping up. Uh, so yeah, we went home and we go home and it's a new ward. Now, I did say we've done this in the past, as in we had Zoom, we would call in from Zoom. I would stay Wednesdays, Tuesdays from time to time, just depending on if I had an errand or something at home, like take an hour off from work, then complete my day. But this was different. This was you are only at home. There is no more being in the office. The concept just doesn't exist anymore. You're not allowed to go into the office. The door is locked. You lose a bunch of things. Um in our operating model, mm. um, we had certain cadence of meetings and gatherings. Um, these were the scheduled ones. Okay, what do we do with these? Do we move all of them to Zoom? Many of them happen over whiteboard. What do we do? With the other? What's, what's our virtual whiteboard solution? We haven't had to do that before. Uh, we just drew stuff and sent each other. Um, what is, uh, okay, Zoom itself is fine. It has some tools and everything. We found Miro 
it's a virtual tool for brainstorming, has virtual stickies and everything. You can vote on stickies. So we gradually found some tools over the course of the next few months. Yeah. But then there were things that were more soft, like not easily replaceable, like pseudo chair conversations. Um, you mean like, hey, can I just get your attention on something and someone turns around to like yeah. add their input? Yeah. doesn't happen anymore. Imagine that would be at best a Slack message that they may or may not see and that you may or may not get an answer. Yeah, that gray area of interacting mm -hmm. where it's kind of like, I don't, I'm not really interrupting flow, but if you change your mental focus from one application, software application to another, for example, it's like, yeah, you're really shifting focus. You're not kind of like, Pausing. Absolutely, absolutely. So water cooler conversations, just completely gone. Um, I remember I met so many waivers in water cooler conversations, like, or coffee machine conversations, where in the morning I come and like, uh, there are three, four people standing around the coffee machines, and for some reason we have three of them, maybe to really, really encourage this. Um, but um, yeah, you stand and uh, like, there are five people standing there. I know four of them, there's one that I don't. Hey. How you doing? Welcome aboard. Uh, probably a new employee. I've been there five, six years. I know it must be a new employee. So we, we get to know each other, have sure. a quick conversation, strike yeah. something. And uh, hey, let's book half an hour later, sometime next week when your onboarding is done, we sit together and chat. I've been here a while. Love to hear what you've been up to, what you've done in the past, what your new team is, what do you plan to do, who, who's your manager, what, what, what are the other members of the team, what your focus would be. Maybe there are some areas that we would collaborate. And the flip side of that is that the new hire feels welcomed mm -hmm. and looks forward to interacting with, you know, the new guy that they met. And if that happens 10 times, 20 times in their first week or so, they feel really kind of like bonded to the yep. organization right away. So that's gone. <laughs> that's gone. It just doesn't happen. New hires get dialed in. Yeah. It's all automatic somehow. They're plugged into the machine. Ship, ship their laptops, basically. Ship yeah. their laptop and keyboard and mouse or whatever. And uh, they never set foot in the office. They never see the office. And we have a fairly nice office with... with with a Zen room and all sorts of things uh, in the office, game room, um, uh, Peloton, uh, all of that. And none of that, you don't get the benefits of any of that. But again, I think the relationship piece was the most dramatic change. Mm. And it ended up kind of splitting the office into the organization into people who knew each other because of in-person long-term interactions and people who were new. Now you're also getting hit by turnover, resignations, and as great great resignation is picking up. We're also getting hit with that. So a lot of new people are joining. And we had our gross, naturally new people joining. But these new people who don't know much of other people at the company, haven't interacted with many other people, don't have a strong bond versus other group, mm -hmm. which is the oldies there, where we know each other, we've interacted in person, we've uh um, I know a thing or two about each other, each other's families. Like there's a bit of a what we call professional camaraderie, mm -hmm. and that professional camaraderie only belongs to half the organization or yeah. two thirds of the organization. And One third have none of that. Difficult to extend that into mm -hmm. the new hires without meeting them in person. It's very difficult. It's very difficult. So uh, what did we do? We started kind of building. Um, oh, but before I go into that, I was looking at the stats around. Um, uh, is this felt like I'm a millennial? Might look a little bit like a boomer. But why, what? Why, You're why a millennial? Yeah. Am I a millennial? Millennial is post boomer? Millennial is 1981, I think, right? All right. And what was before millennial? Uh, wasn't. What do we call those guys? Z? 
No, no Z is after millennial. Geez, I don't know what the hell. Yeah. I'm 1980, so I'm cusp, you know? Yeah, you, you count as millennial. Um, Damn it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, somebody posted some stuff. This, this is actually something that caught my eye because I was interested in seeing what Gen Z think because uh, they're, they're more like I the don't pick up the phone type, everything text, and like different sort of interactions. Mm -hmm. And in survey, uh, I think it was Bloomberg, they asked Gen Zs and half of them said, they feel like they're not getting enough value because they can't establish relationships like the other people in the office, like the groups that have been in the office for a while, people before them who were doing that kind of thing. So even the Gen Z are feeling that, which mm -hmm. is an interesting one because um, uh, some of them finished their last two years of school remotely, then went to a remote work environment. They've never worked in the office. At that point, it's culture. Like it's it's indoctrination. It's yeah. uh, it's the context of their reality. Their work environment has been hybridized for so long. Yeah, they don't know any other the social, version of it. The social side of work is gone, mm. and it definitely can't be rebuilt by like having cocktail kits shipped to your house <laughs> while you dial in on Friday afternoon, being like, "Shit, I got twenty other things to do, but I'll just have a drink awkwardly with my boss on Zoom." It doesn't really same. make up for it, yeah. No, you're right. Wow. It's, it's not the same. So I, I did we addressed it. Uh, we did, uh, well, uh, we did a few things. Um, one, to clarify, some organizations have already started back to the office mandates and everything. We at WAVE uh, very deliberately and very based on our philosophy said, we're not going to mandate being back to the office. Mm -hmm. It's a choice. Yeah. We're not going to solve these problems by forcing people to come to the office. Question. In the time, let's call it through 2020, right? And in a 2021, I guess, is what we're talking about now, period-wise. Um, the new hires that you had brought on, you know, replacing old positions as people dropped off or otherwise just net new hires. Um, I guess the idea was, like, were you hiring with a different strategy also? Were you hiring globally and outside of the city? Very good question. We did start gradually looking a bit outside. Partly because it was now more common, partly because we had to, because Americans started tapping into our talent up here very heavily by opening offices. Stripe opened an office, Facebook opened an office, Google expanded their office over the course of those years. So they started hiring locally and they started picking them remotely. We talked in episode two of this series to uh, Sean Huynh, who runs a company called uh, DevTalent. DevTalent is entirely a tech recruiting company. Well, now they've started, you know, additional roles, but mainly SaaS companies are their customers, exclusively dealing with American companies trying to hire locally in Toronto and its surrounding areas. Like a company, that's just one recruiting company out of how many that are sourcing these, these talent. Mm -hmm. And the purchasing power of the American dollar is always going to be stronger, right? Absolutely. So it's difficult. No, they, they get very similar, I would say sometimes better quality talent out of Canada for uh, much, much lower cost. And uh, that was super attractive to them. So they started hiring here. And some of our local firms, uh, the likes of Shopify, obviously, went on a huge hiring spree. They hired, what was the thing that they said? They were going to hire 2,022 yeah. engineers. For the year 2022, yeah. yeah. And that was just engineers, not, not yeah. support staff and not the people that they need to even onboard those people and all that. Yeah. So there was a lot of competition uh, from rich players who, uh, we, we were still a 
smaller companies, smaller firms. So we can't directly often compete with uh, a Shopify or a Google. Um, on a comp perspective, I think on a lot of other things, culture and everything, we could very well compete. Um, but uh, yeah, so we had to expand. So we started hiring, um, we, we started looking in the US. Again, that dynamic of US dollar works against us when we're looking because we have to pay our uh, Canadian salaries and then US dollar over there. So um, we, we did hire a few good people. We're in financial services, so some roles just made naturally more sense to hire in the US. Mm -hmm. And most of our payments and financial services businesses in the US were kind of like, um, uh, let's say 20, 30% of our business in Canada, 70, 80% is in the US, mm, okay. depending on the line of business that you look at. So we started hiring some specific roles in the US and we had good success with those. There are, there are just more people who have done that kind of thing down in the US. Mm -hmm. So we had good success there and we hired for compliance roles. We hired for, for with folks who have done um, certain banking operations that now we needed those. So that was good and useful for us. That was helpful. Um, but yeah, for those two reasons, one, we had to, and two, it seemed like it's now more viable than ever. Uh, it's not going to be, uh, this person is a special breed that only works remote. Everybody else is in the office. No, this person is working remote and everybody else is working remote. So that kind of facilitated that discussion. And, uh, yeah, we generally have had good experience with that, uh, remote hiring. And, uh, I think it saved us to some extent if we only focused on local Toronto talent, which used to be what we only did. Uh, we would have had a challenge. We also had folks, uh, waivers, who were in Toronto and moved out. Mm, of course. Yeah. Uh, we have um, a couple of my good colleagues moved to uh, Nova Scotia. Wow. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of envious every time we're on Zoom because uh, uh, they show their view and they're looking at the ocean uh, in the middle of like the next houses, uh, I don't know, uh, 10, 15 kilometers away. Uh, it's all green land and uh, uh, really much nicer than my view of uh, parking lots. <laughs> And <laughs> raccoons trying to steal your trash. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we had quite a few people because uh, again, the, the it's the same thing. If we're hiring remotely, then our own employees deserve to have that same flexibility of being able to work anywhere that they want. Um, and because of some regulatory stuff uh, and some challenges for a small company, we don't allow work from literally anywhere, but pretty much North America is fair game. If you move outside of North America, it's like, how do we support the labor laws in the UK or whatever? So that, that's a bit of a limitation, but we have given that flexibility. Yeah. So as your team becomes, you know, more distributed, how are you kind of like managing culture or in the last year and a half, how have you tried to manage culture between this like in person as you return the office and a remote kind of identity? Yeah, yeah. And introduce these new hires to the old hires and try and rebuild. Yeah, uh, good question. Getting more deliberate about all of these. So new hires, how do we force it so they meet people? Not in a bad way. So you get hired, you have a buddy. You get who is responsible to tell you everything about Wave. So your buddy onboards you. Another staff yeah. member. Yeah, another staff member. Somebody who has been generally here for at least some Not time. Not like Judy from HR. No. Who's no, like, no, no, no. let me run through the checklist and come back to you with any problems. Uh, we do have that as well. Yeah. Uh, HR basically handholds. Really nice onboarding process we have that we've perfected over the years. Uh, COVID kind of disrupted that a little bit. It wasn't built for remote. It was built for on-site. Uh, but you get kind of a good amount of overwhelming amount, I would say, everything that Wave is and does and who does what. Yeah, I like that. Like you have to, everyone needs to know what the company mm -hmm. is and how it operates and not be felt like treated like you're, you, this is your job. Uh, you'll learn the other stuff if you kind of like have a year or two of tenure. You know, you'll figure it out as you go. People feel a little like, ooh, yeah, this is great. Okay, yeah. so yeah, the, the conventional process is that deep dive into the company, but then this buddy system is great because it's yeah. really about someone showing you through their lens. Mm -hmm. 
how things work. Yeah. And then um, we have other mechanisms to bring people together. Um, I was selling the water cooler. Well, doesn't yeah. exist anymore. Well, it's still there, but nobody uses it. Um, uh, but we have uh, what we call banter bot on Slack. It's a bot. It just posts a topic or something. And then people start engaging with it on Slack and our main channel. So random topics of conversation get yeah. published by this bot in a Slack channel. And then everyone chimes in and it becomes this like fun. What's your favorite Christmas movie? And then we get to fight over whether Die Hard is a Christmas movie or not. Uh, but yeah, it, it's fun. Uh, and um, uh, I, I was initially personally skeptical around how this bot could help. I was pleasantly surprised uh, that it gets a lot of engagement and people go in there and comment and it's pairs discussions and you see suddenly people, I don't know, in that last one, recommending movies and everything and getting to learn, oh, I like this genre, these are the ones I would recommend. You kind of build that community yeah. again. They're remote, they're distributed. It's not one-to-one. -one. It sounds funny though, because for some people, they might pick up on that and say, well, that's not authentic interaction. It's not the true serendipity of being in the office. But I mean, an anecdote, even from the, in, uh, from IRL, you know, a few years ago, we started this thing at our Barista station at Front Desk where we would always have a, uh, for a little while we had tips and then we realized tips don't, I don't agree with tips. That's a whole nother thing. <laughs> but uh, we pay our staff fairly well. So the the cup had a question, just cafe style, like a like a sandwich board out on the street. Always a question that's like on that, you know, same thing. It would be like, would you choose like who, which character from that movie would be more Christmas, you know? Um, and the funny thing is like, it was always a binary question, you know, true or false, red or white, black, red or white. That's interesting. See, that's a Canadian answer to the yeah. blue or black or whatever, right? That's true. Blue or red. It's white or red, man. Anyway. Um, yeah. And that, that always sparked conversation. Giving someone a choice or giving someone like, you know, so the bot the bot makes sense yeah. as a prompt. Yeah. We have other channels like um, uh, there, there's one which is um, travel, uh, another one which is outdoors. So if people go, hey, uh, we have one of my colleagues is in France right now, and she just keeps posting their photos of like... In the Slack channel. Uh, yeah, in the Slack channel as she travels. It's like your like, private Instagram. Yeah, <laughs> it's sort of, yeah. And uh, it, it's fun and it connects people and then people come back and then uh, do discussions around like where they went, what things they saw. Uh, a travel guide basically for their team or others who are interested. So uh, we end up connecting people like this. And again, it, you're never going to recreate what we lost with mm -hmm. like going to hybrid model now. Uh, but uh, there are, if you get deliberate around certain points, you can make up for some of those gaps and still meet some of those needs. So professional camaraderie, instead of completely disappearing and going away, it's being reshaped and morphed into something new that serves a lot of that same purpose. People know each other better. People have a relationship beyond just you're a name on a Slack or a person on the chart that we have on our org chart. Once you have that connection, communication becomes easier. Mm -hmm. Decision-making becomes easier. Collaboration becomes easier. Uh, there's more respect, mutual respect. So uh, your, your colleagues are more than just names. And I think we've been able to create that. Mm -hmm. And something that has always been in the DNA of Wave is, uh, and we always, every time somebody asks, like, what do you like about Wave, is the supportive nature. You're never alone. Often you don't even need to ha ask for help when people notice, like, okay, Reza needs help. This is something that is just too much, like it's doing too many things. Like people come and offer a hand and offer help and everything. So building that trust allows us to now continue that tradition of being helpful and supportive, of making sure that uh, whenever somebody uh, needs a helping hand, it's there. They're, they're supported. Um, any gap they need covered, anything that is blocking them, others will come in and help them. So 
rebuilding a bit of that professional camaraderie has enabled making something like that possible, which is awesome. It's uh, um, it, it's awesome in that it's awesome for what it is. It's also helpful to the organization from the perspective of achieving our goals. The more effective you are at decision making, uh, the fewer conflicts you have. These things all result in you moving faster towards your outcomes. Uh, and uh, that people aspect is super important in all of this. So uh, we can't let COVID and remote work uh, get ahead of us uh, and uh, kind of uh, ruin something so good. Yeah, no, I like this idea. It sounds so simple, but the idea of kind of like um, buddying people up, mm-hmm. we've seen it, in, of course, in the engineering world, like peer programming. Like, let me say that again. I fumbled that phrase. Peer programming. <laughs> I, I did not enunciate that whatsoever. I don't know what's going on. Not enough caffeine. But yeah, like you put two people, you know, on the same task next to each other. Uh, I guess the hypothesis of the methodology is that they will c- together uh, finish that task quicker and with a deeper learning curve, like they'll be able to be much better. And they, as they work together, become much faster than, you know, individually working on something. So I think that carries forward out of just plain logic and into, you know, soft skills and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. People it, don't want to be alone necessarily all the time if they're having a good time with someone else. We're hardwired that way, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's fun and work that way. So why not make it that way? And yeah, uh, work should be fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, and uh, you 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 do better work, and you have had that skill trade, which is also super beneficial. Uh, there's another topic on my list, uh, which is another one of those challenges uh, uh, around uh, COVID and some uh, some of the one one of the ones that was uh, particularly um, uh, uh, painful, especially early on, was. Uh, uh, what we called uh, triumph of the unknown unknown. Mm. Uh, so just, just to reiterate this topic of like, you have known knowns, like on your roadmap, there are things that you put there. Like we, we were delivering this feature by this time. And this is because of this customer's need if you're in an enterprise. Yeah, and the known SaaS. unknowns as well. We don't know how to code that thing, but we're going to figure it out. Yeah. But you know what you're coding. You just don't yeah. know how to code it. Exactly. And then the unknown unknowns. Yeah, unknown unknown. You can say examples of unknown unknowns is difficult, but let's say some well e- event happens like a pandemic. A pandemic. Oh, my God. You, you can't plan for that. And uh, this is the thing that we've always had in the organization. You have mostly known knowns, some extent of known unknown, and a few unknown unknowns here and there come out, and you deal with them as they come. You just mm-hmm. have to have extra capacity and be quick and react. Uh, you can't be proactive, really, about them. But what COVID and particularly great resignation changed was huge turnover of a lot of people who were known as subject matter experts, SMEs. Uh, Within yeah. organization, you're, you're talking about people that are like key holders to sacred knowledge in their field. Yeah. And then they leave and you're like, wait a second. How does we that thing work? Yeah. And we didn't even know that person was working on that thing. And it was brilliant. Oh my God. And we never even knew. And like, yeah. do we, are, are we allowed to call them? <laughs> Can we call them? Oh, we don't have their phone number. Damn it. Oh, they don't use a phone anymore. Oh, IG them, IG them. But yeah, like the point is, it's really expensive to organizations Mm -hmm. to lose that knowledge. I'm hoping somebody in one of the many books that will be written over this goes and does an analytical quantitative assessment of what this aspect of grade resignation cost in productivity, in dollars, in lost revenue. Because I've seen it so many times. Like one example, a colleague came to me, uh, it was a few months back, and uh, he's looking into prioritizing a bunch of things on a roadmap and um, asked me, um, hey, Reza, these are the figures that we're seeing on on the behavior tracking and uh, user analysis and everything. 
and uh, a certain action he points out and he says that counts for 40% of the volume. I won't go into the deep details, but yeah, the yeah. key numbers. That counts for 40% of the volume. And I'm like, no, that that's that's not impossible. Uh, let me take a look at that. Um, this was actually a bit of a sideline to the discussion, but it would have led to a very important decision. Hmm. I go in and look, and uh, look at our data. Uh, I have technical backgrounds, so still run my own SQL queries from time to time. Well, look at you, Reza. Yeah. Hardcore, man. And I, I pop up data grip, uh, write a few lines, and figure out how they arrived at the 40% number. It was basically mixing two completely distinct things into one number and then naming it badly. Now, I knew that and I quickly could come at that conclusion because I'm sort of a me on this. I've been in payments for a while. I've led the payment product team now as the GM. So I knew a thing or two about it. So when that number 40 just didn't sound right to me, I kind of went and looked at it and knew exactly where to look. And I'm like, okay, no, the real number is more like, the real figure is more like 17%. Mm -hmm. Now, you make two very different decisions based on figure 40% and figure 17%. 40% was convincing him to go in a very different direction. 17%, they drop it. So this is that unknown unknown. And it was only serendipity that we ran into each other and he brought this question. If I didn't answer the Slack message that afternoon, they would have continued with the 40% assumption and made the decision. Um, it's actually been a bit of a struggle for me a lot of these cases where I'm like, I hear something, I'm like, doesn't sound right, but should I get involved? Or should I just let it be? Mm -hmm. uh, which is uh, sometimes like, they'll learn the lesson. This is not going to be a disaster if they continue with that wrong number or with that wrong assumption. They're going to go and learn it and they're going to learn six other things. Mm -hmm. If I interfere now, I'm going to prevent them. Yeah, I'm going to stop this thing, but I'm going to prevent them from learning from learning things that down the road would be super beneficial to this project that they're working on. So let it be. So it's a struggle choosing what to do at those points in time. Uh, but yeah, that's another aspect. So if we had our old data analyst on payments involved in this decision, he would absolutely 100% notice. The data would not become 40% ever. It would just be 17% or 18%, which is the correct number. But uh, nobody did anything wrong. That's the funny thing. Like across all of this, like the research that they did, look at the data and analysis that they did, Everything is absolutely correct, 100% by the book. They did the best they could. There was just an unknown unknown there that they didn't know that this is a misnomer in our data. And behind the scenes, it's actually covering for two different things. And they were making a decision off of it. So that unknown unknown, I think it's been extremely costly. And again, it's not a thing that happened only because of COVID, but COVID and great resignation amplified it to a mm -hmm. great deal. Yeah. So um, how do we deal with it? Uh, we can't. Well, first, try to keep as many of your key people as possible. Uh, that's the thing uh, goes without saying. But try avoiding it in future based on the lessons learned. So to your point around pair programming, we adopted more of that. Mm -hmm. Splitting the knowledge. Sharing knowledge, yeah. yeah. There shouldn't be ever a case where one we, person, yeah, uh, like if you look at the depths of knowledge, there are like five topics in a domain. There shouldn't be a case where one person knows 10 deep this one, another knows 10 deep that one, another knows 10 deep that other one. Any of them leave, none of them can take on the responsibility anymore. Mm -hmm. It's better if we have a group where everybody knows five. Right. And maybe one person has gone to 10 on one topic. Mm -hmm. But everybody knows five of it or two, three people know five well, That's also it. part of that kind of like across the board want, you know, in a, in a smart organization for everyone who is an employee to have a deep uh, knowledge base about not specificities of particular jobs that are outside of their domain, but about how the organization functions. Part of it is building that, you know, subconscious um, framework base for people to make decisions within their own field, mm -hmm. you know. And part of it also is about knowing how to share what, 
you have to prime that expectation. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, no, that's very true. Uh, so yeah, that uh, we kind of, and written communications was another thing that we did. Uh, let's write things down. Um, mm -hmm. Good idea, great idea. And this is the context behind it. And this is the hypothesis that led like us here. document your workflows. Yes, document your jobs and your decision-making. Yeah. Why did we make this decision? Was so, there a particular software package or, or you know, interface for that? Or is it ad hoc? We, we use Confluence, which is a wiki, uh, okay. enterprise wiki type of solution. And we use that. And some things are stored in Jira. Jira and Confluence uh, work well with each other. So the tickets are in Jira and issues are in Jira. And um, Confluence acts as the wiki. It's good enough. Like anything else, it could get stale if you don't regularly maintain it. Mm -hmm. So it's like there are, there are probably two thirds of our confluence today is useless because it's old, stale data, uh, and new ones you have to have a kind of a governance, which is too much for an organization our side governance of the wiki local uh, company wiki. Uh, but yeah, it could get stale, but it gets the job done. Things are documented. I'm sometimes surprised I go and run into a page that I wrote down when I'm looking for a keyword on Confluence. I go and run into a page that I wrote down in, uh, I don't know, um, August 2016. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, okay, this helps. Did I write this? It looks really good. I don't think I could have write, written this, but it looks really good, so I, I, I like it. But, but 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 yeah, you go back and like you find something uh, like that. So we, we're we're async communications became a lot more important as part of remote work. Sure. Like um, we, we now encourage it. We now, I was talking to my boss um, who's our COO uh, the other day and we were talking, discussing a topic and we just made a decision. Okay, let's, let's do this this way. And his ask of me, okay, go and write it down. See how you feel about it when you wrote it down. Yeah, and they see that is a, is a very interesting discipline, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Articulate something before you go and, and, and create the actionable items. Yeah, don't broadcast it first. Just go and write. Part it of that is yourself. also about changing culture away from like reactionism to you know proaction and and people kind of making informed decisions as opposed to just you know reacting and then making the quickest decision. Absolutely, absolutely. So we push that kind of like uh, clarify your thinking, outline things, and write them. So that's one aspect of it. But async communications, it's a meeting. Again, back to efficiency. A meeting on Zoom sometimes can be a document page or blog post on Confluence Hour Wiki where everything is written. Yeah, so instead a of a meeting, it. you mean? Yeah, instead of a meeting. Yeah. And sometimes the precursor to the meeting is that document. Everybody goes in, like uh, one of the monthly updates that we do, uh, now we've moved into this place where instead of everybody bringing a deck and walking everybody else in the room, oh, an good. expensive meeting Move through their away deck. From that. Yeah, a waste of time. Yeah, not doing that anymore. Instead of decks, we have a written piece. Every leader has a written piece. Mm -hmm. They put that together a couple of days before the meeting and post it in a channel for that purpose. And then everyone else goes in, reads the document. But is it verbose? Is it like editorialized copy or is it like a bulleted list? We try to be more on the bulleted list. Yeah, side. keep yeah. it concise, yeah. keep it to the point. Yeah. yeah. It's not about storytelling in this case. It's right. just highlights of the months, action-oriented, things that we saw that should raise concerns, things that are going well. So kind of put that like that together every leader. Mm -hmm. uh, I do two of those, for example, every month. And um, everyone goes in, comments on the document. You go in and answer comments and questions. And then when we go to the meeting, we start one by one. Are there any questions that are not answered yet? Mm -hmm. Let's discuss those. Are there any new questions that have come up since then? Everybody good? Move on to the next thing. It has been such a relief. It's so much more organized. It's so much more time-saving. Like those meetings that just could, could go easily for, we would book them for half a day at least. Oh my God. And everyone has input when they don't necessarily need input in just yeah. trying to get the key points out 
and you want to make the everyone feel included. Mm. So whoever is leading that, yeah, you know what? It's 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 the best way is like be concise and make it easier yeah. for people to also because there's a lot of assumptive miscommunication mm-hmm. using digital communication. Yeah, yeah. Like you spend ten minutes trying to get everyone's webcams working, <laughs> and then by the time you kind of can hear properly, you know, despite all the like problems at home yeah. of like a dog barking too loudly or something, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you need to be as precise with. Yeah. with the core information as possible. Well, it's made us a lot more efficient. Um, and then um, another area, like uh, this ties to kind of, um, maybe we get into the topic of uh, managing remote teams and kind of being yeah. effective with teams. We touched a few points around it. Async communication is a big one. Uh, but um, uh, another thing that was disrupted was we had mechanisms and systems in place uh, and cadences and meetings and routines. Yeah, you said um, that going into the pandemic, right? Yeah. Yeah, and like well, quarterly meetings or whatever, team meetings once a week or something. Yeah. Yeah. And the in-person stuff, teams usually pod sitting together. So like these 20 desks are the payroll team. Those are the accounting team. We're sitting together. Uh, you, you you just hear conversations that are beneficial and they feel like, oh, I want to be involved in that conversation or something being done on the whiteboard, team whiteboard. You jump in and mm-hmm. stuff. So all of those went away at different levels, like blew up after COVID. So how do, how do we replace these? And particularly, how do we keep, like, the big concern was, these teams are now on their own, distributed. As leaders, how do we keep them still motivated? How do we keep them excited about the work they're doing? Not just because they're remote and they're not working with each other and they were so used to working with each other. Uh, they kind of lost that connection. But also because of the fact that everything else that's going on in the macro world distracts you. Like you probably have sick oh. parents, sick family, right. all the news coming out, you news. have no entertainment. So it's bad for your mental health. We can't fix all of that, but at least how do we keep people motivated so they don't feel bad about their work? This one that we can help with. And um, uh, one of the things that existed even before, and we kind of doubled down on it, was, um, and this is kind of borrowed from uh, Daniel Pink's book, Drive. Which, yeah, oh, right. You mentioned that to me before uh, before we jumped on the mic. Yeah. He, he, he talks about um, intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. And in, specifically in terms of intrinsic motivators, he, he mentions three things, autonomy, mastery, and purpose. Mm. And these are the three things that can help you keep your people interested and motivated to do the work that they're doing. So yeah, recap those three things again. So um, autonomy is the, they feel like they are in charge and own the work. Right. They're not being told what to do. They're going out and figuring out the, how to do and achieve results. The opposite of micromanagement. Exactly. The opposite of micromanagement. You you have the ownership, so as the team. Mm-hmm. And uh, mastery is you're getting better at it. When you're getting better at something, you, you start playing a musical instrument, and you get better at it, and you get better at it. It just keeps motivating you. I'm getting better at this. Well, I was talking to my daughter about that this morning. She has a piano lesson this, this evening. She's four and a half, right? And she's like, Papa, I don't know. And I was like, what don't you know? She's like, I don't like piano. And I was like, you love piano. What are you talking about? And she was like, no, I don't want to keep playing the same thing. She's four and a half. I'm like, well, but do you enjoy each lesson when you're learning new things? And she says, yeah, I just want to learn new things. So I was like, become a master at the thing that your teacher taught you last week, and then you'll be able to move on. So just get quick with it. And you'll be able to enjoy learning and continuing. Um, and it's something that adults don't quite get that often. Mm-hmm. No, we forget about it. <laughs> no. 
a lot of people enjoy stasis in their lives, you know, yeah. and, and they, mastery is escaping mastery. Yeah, yeah, true. Uh, that's true. Yeah. Uh, and then the last element is uh, purpose. So have a purpose. If, if you, uh, there, there are a couple angles to this. One, um, something that you feel like it's, uh, it's bringing something positive to the board. And then the other one is it's tied to your company's objectives, hopefully. Mm. Um, for every employee, we've put a lot of emphasis and we continue to do so that the thing that you're working on, the line of code you're writing, the content that you're publishing uh, on the marketing or public site, you should be able to tie this back to a company objective. Right. If you can't ask your leader, if your leader can't go one level up and ask, we, we don't have that many levels, but two, three <laughs> levels here with the CEO. Climb to the top <laughs> of the staircase where, wherein you'll find a penthouse within the penthouse. Yeah, that's pretty much it. But but ask, like make sure that work you're doing, because if it's, it could be it's not, then we may not be, want, work, we probably shouldn't be working on that if it's not helping company goals. But if it is, we want you to know, and we want you to feel like you're part of the big picture. Mm -hmm. You're not just a cog there. You're part of the big picture. Like everybody else, you're making an impact. And the other is the do good type of thing. Mm -hmm. I have a really good example from this from back in the startup days. I was a co-founder, and um, one of the features we built was called CSID 911, which is uh, E911, which is basically on IP phones. IP phones don't have a fixed address, right? An IP phone, you can pick it up and anywhere there's internet, you can go and plug the IP phone mm -hmm. and now you're talking on that network. It fixed finds IP it. address, you mean? But they have a Mac address, it, device. So, uh, yeah, a physical address. Okay, okay. So your phone at home, do you have a landline? Not anymore. Oh, okay. Yeah. So landlines, when you went on landline, you call 911, mm -hmm. they immediately know where you are because that landline land oh, is registered. Yeah, sorry, you see how my address. brain went? I'm not full millennial, but I was I, I was imagining a, a kind of a IP phone oh, okay, <laughs> as okay. opposed to an actual RJ45 plugged in you know, to the wall. Okay. But yes, okay, yeah, so yeah. landlines have an identity. Yeah, have an identity. 911, you call, you don't even talk, they can send you someone, send mm -hmm. you some help. But with... IP phones, um, they talk to network, basically connect to a gateway that's connected to the internet. So if you have the gateway, put it in your bag, the gateway and your IP phone, you can go anywhere in the world, connect to the internet through the gateway, and you have the same phone number, you're on the same org, you're connected to everything. The phone will operate as it was before, as long as you have good internet connection. Now, this feature allowed IP phone owners to set their physical address and physical address profiles. So some, some of them were salespeople would take their phone home after hours. So this feature allowed them to go to a simple portal and say, this hour to this hour, this is my physical address. This hour to this hour, this is my physical address. Because I'm at home, I'm at work. So if somebody dials 911 on this phone, the emergency services, the responders, will know where to go. Because that feature that we built will alert them that it's this hour. So this is the central office. Tell the emergency services that this is the address they mm. should go to. So uh, as a PM, I brought this to the team and... Uh, uh, I said, hey, guys, today we're saving lives. And it's true. It's an, it's an, uh, it's, it's, it's an extreme case. You very rarely build software that saves lives like that. Most of us don't. Uh, we're working in financial services, and I told you we make a lot of impact, but we don't save lives every day. Uh, it's nice to hear from a customer that says, wait, because you automated things. I was at the dinner table and I managed to close my laptop because you helped everything fix me. I, I got the chance to eat dinner with my kids and uh, family. That was great. We hear that on customer interviews. So that's nice. But it's not saving lives. It's right. really good, but it's not saving lives. So that's an extreme example. But it's good to have these examples and motivate people 
with these examples that are making a difference. And uh, part of that is why we, part of those three um, autonomy, mastery, purpose, the purpose part, we encourage everyone in the company, including engineers, uh, to participate in customer interviews. Mm, I like that. And hear from customers. Like, at least attend one customer interview. Product managers and designers are customer interviews every week. At least once every other week, go to a customer interview. We have a calendar. You can actually go and drop yourself in one, mm-hmm. sign up if nobody's signed up. You can be note taker. You don't have to talk, but you would be there and you would hear the pains of the customers, the opportunities that exist. And sometimes good ideas come up from like these like you know, features and things that we can oh, do. Yeah. But also they just put themselves in the shoes of the customer, empathize with the customer, and that is absolutely invaluable. So you have a bunch of remote teams, you give them autonomy, you help them become the masters of their craft, and you make sure that they have purpose. You get good results, mm-hmm. which is what we've experienced. I've been surprised. I, 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 I do less now in team leadership than I used to do before COVID. Mm. Even though I taught with COVID, I would have to do a lot more. But just following simple rules like this and being deliberate about these things and pushing them and getting feedback from employees all the time. that uh, is this working? Is this working? Sure. That, collecting that feedback all the time because we could be wrong. Yeah. There are just thing, meetings that I used to go to that have pulled myself out and they're going well. And I would say they're going better than they would have with me in them. Me being in them makes people sometimes hesitant to mm, say things that they would have otherwise said bring up something like, yeah, this is too small for this meeting or like wasting this time. I don't feel at all that way, well, detailed and technical, mm-hmm. but it could have that. Impact. So me having pulled myself out of things, I feel like actually helped. And the reason I could pull myself out is we give the team the, those abilities, those the autonomy, mastery, purpose. And then there's the accountability bit, which is the flip side of autonomy. So you have autonomy, but there's also accountability. Uh, report back on the things that you're doing and we have some certain meetings, certain conversations around that where we bring folks. Um, we have a bi-weekly alignment meeting with our payments team. The whole team is like 30 people, but the leads group is 10, 12 people. We sit together and we discuss every other week what things have we accomplished, what things are we laid on, what questions do we have, any major updates from a leadership perspective that should be shared. But yeah, we use that channel. But after that, the team spreads out. And I don't hear much. There are one-on-ones. One-on-ones also shifted completely to what do you need from me? Mm-hmm. It's not an update where you tell me what you did. Right, yeah. It's a waste of time. Yeah. What do you need from me? Are you blocked on something? Uh, is there something I can help with? Is there an interpersonal thing that I can help with? Are you not? Are you looking to get a... Are you, are you, were you hoping to get a promotion this year that you didn't get and you're upset about that? I'm there to help you with those kind of things to make sure so that that's you're well-equipped. That's also like about shifting culture. Are we still talking about in a kind of remote only way or across the board hybrid? Like, So we had some of these things in the old world as well, like autonomy mastery pairs was a thing, but we weren't pushing it anywhere as much as we have in the last two years. Yeah. So we double and triple and quadruple down on this because it worked. It and with digital us. communications, interpersonal digital communications, is that kind of like functional expectation of the interfacing? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it definitely works well. Yeah, no, it, it really works well. And uh, and as you guys are moving into a, back into the office, how's that working? What's happening on that front? So um, Or back into person, <laughs> in, in real life, IRL. Yeah, so the, the, the premise and the promise that we've made to the company is office is the place we want you to feel like you want to be. Yeah. We're never going to mandate that you have to be. Sure. 
So we don't have a mandate of, I know some places they have a mandate of two days in the office or Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You know, like Goldman Sachs or some shit. Yeah. We, we're not going to mandate that uh, because uh, also there are people who have moved out of town. Now they have very long commutes. It just doesn't yeah. make sense. It's going to be trouble and difficult. But we're going to do as much as we can. Town halls, hybrid town halls with um, uh, benefits for folks that come into the office, whether it's um, pizza or whatever. Yeah, like make it fun. Make it fun, yeah. yeah. Uh, training in person. We have a couple of different rounds of training, different courses. There's one that is public speaking. We can't do that remotely. You have to be in the room. <laughs> because it's not public speaking at yeah. that point. It's, yeah. it's a whole different thing. It's a different thing. So you have to be in the room, and yeah. we try to bring people in the room for those things, and they get a lot of traction. Now, once you have people in the room, well, you get the opportunity for them to network, to build professional camaraderie. They're locked in a room two days together, so they learn about each other. They learn about their weaknesses. It's a place where you have to be vulnerable. You, you feel like you're not a good public speaker. In front of your peers, you have to be vulnerable. And it builds relationships. Mm. So true courses bring people in and encourage them. So no mandate, but if you sign up for this course, you're going to get a lot of benefits besides learning. Right. You're going to make friends. You're going to make comrades here at work. And uh, um, yeah, so bring them into work that way. And um, all the opportunities, um, ways to offer recognition. Uh, like, again, another thing that you would high-five people in the old world. You can yeah, still actually, high-five on a Slack. So this is a good topic. Recognition. How do you encourage the team who may be distributed, right, for the most part remote, to recognize uh, you're documenting stuff so people kind of get have a, the ability to understand and be tapped into kind of what everyone's working on? But yeah, so there you go. How yeah. do you do it? If you don't recognize good work, people, some people will stop doing good work. It's just our nature. Like everybody appreciated this thing that I did, I'm going to do more of it. Mm-hmm. But nobody cared. I'm probably going to do less of it. So we do have that focus on encouraging this. And again, uh, real high fives are not an opportunity. Our old CEO, Kirk, he would hear something and then you see him running. He would see something on Slack and he would see him running and going across like the office to somebody and then high-fiving like a team. Yeah. Every single person. They did something good. Like Risk Team blocked some uh, attack, basically, some fraud, fraud activity yeah. and saved us tens of thousands of dollars and high saved fives. our customers. Bunch of high fives and everything. So that just doesn't happen in a remote world. You could you have those tiny high emojis, five emojis. Yeah. Not, not the same thing. <laughs> uh, so what we do is um, we have a few things. Uh, on Slack, we have uh, kind of a, they go these days by Bravo or Kudos channel and everything. And there are pre- predefined set of things like tying to company values. Like this person showed this, which is one of our company values. So that's one. It could be anonymous. Sometimes it just directly goes to the person. Sometimes it gets published. Uh, we have our town halls, which we run as hybrid. So some mm-hmm. people come to the office, some people work from home. I would say 30% come to the office, 70% work from home for town halls. And sometimes town halls have additional events like a barbecue or something. You'll get 50% in the office. Um, but uh, food is really good at bringing people to the office. Um, and um, what was I saying? Uh, yeah, so in town halls, we have a shout-out section where leaders record a personal video saying thanks to someone on their team. Mm. We used to do this as CEO does this, but then we felt it's disconnected. Yeah, it's not about top-down. It's about kind of yeah. all sorts of people recognizing each other. Yeah. So now the actual leader that worked with some person and recognized something great that they did will make a really informal, super informal video from home uh, on their phone that, um, hey, sorry, you did this amazing thing and helped our customers and unblocked them and... Uh, this is in line with our mission of helping small business owners. And we put that in the town hall and we play those. And uh, 
the feedback has been amazing for that kind of thing. We've gotten a lot of success and people just love it. And we clap and we're happy and we get to know another colleague uh, this way. Uh, both their faces and everything is there. So that has been super helpful. Uh, we have a channel where we have ships. We call it ships. Whenever new things ships. Um, new, new product product, features. Yeah, goes live. Um, we do like multiple a day um, being SaaS and everything. Um, we uh, uh, give an opportunity to both person who posted it, basically if wanted somebody who had ownership of this to post this uh, and kind of take credit for them and their team and give kudos to a bunch of people. And then we all go in, like folks that know what that is around, what that topic is and where how it helps them. So I go in and say, this helps me this way. It's amazing. Yeah, you have it. to like socialize the uh, the kudos. Yeah, yeah. so we, we give that recognition that way. And uh, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Making making alternatives, and I think we have more alternatives for giving recognition now than we did in the old world. It's interesting, you know. Something came up um, about this topic that reminded me um, of the way I used to work. Mm -hmm. um, so I had a company called Design Guru uh, for about a decade when I moved to Toronto, like two thousand five. I moved to Toronto with the mandate of founding a a practice that would take the placemaking effort from uh, urban public thinking, urban public space planning, mm -hmm. and make it uh, available to digital spaces online. That was my whole thing. Mm -hmm. So I moved from New York, uh, working with the Project for Public Spaces that redesigned parks and all sorts of public forums and urban public spaces. And I took their placemaking methodology and digitized it. And um, it was very interesting. It was very early on in that practice, I decided to only use open source software. Mm -hmm. And in that, uh, I keep telling people that it was a really interesting experience because I worked automatically with a distributed global team because my comrades is, I like that word that you keep saying, uh, my comrades in the, in the open source world, especially in the Drupal community at some point, which is an open source content management system, um, you know, were thousands and thousands and thousands of people around the world with a vested interest in the success of the software they were all using. And this is predating a little bit of that code checking in and out. You know, we, we were really old school in those days, but, um, with every feature advancement, there would be like a lot of critique on how it was implemented and people would chime in on better ways to do things, uh, suggest code, you know, changes and discuss it. And it was always a social experience, you know, around that. And I, it's funny because a lot of the innovations that I used to do and my team used to do on client projects that resulted in advancements of the software, you couldn't celebrate with the client. Often cases, because we were dealing with subcontractors doing some of this work when, you know, I was stretched too thin or whatever, um, that person might leave the team after they've done their ninja work. Mm. So even amongst us on the team, you couldn't give kudos for certain innovations. Um, but with posting it back to the open source community, there was always a community that would kind of do that virtual high five and also more importantly, take the good work and be able to develop it further. Um, but it's funny because I think that I primarily worked in open source software because it came with a turnkey community and also the side benefit of that community and feeling that recognition, uh, that your work wasn't just lost to the code commit, you know, mm -hmm. um, that fed back into this lifestyle of working as a remote team. Like my studio on Spadina was a drop-in studio. So I had up to 20 people at a time in it, but for the most part, it was like me and one other person. Mm -hmm. um, so for us not to feel alone, I think it was a, a big boon to work with an open source community that was already dirt, digital and distributed. Yeah. Uh, and and how there was that built-in feedback loop was really something that, that enabled that lifestyle. Um, 
and fed back into the client work to make it more fulfilling. Mm-hmm. It's no, interesting. That that's very true. And funny you should bring open source up because open source the development the operating model has always been remote by default. Like yeah. it started a lot of it started out of universities with a BSD license and everything, mm-hmm. and these were d- disparate. Remote universities and okay, professors, so here's, students. Here's a little anecdote working. on that. A little anecdote on that. You mentioned BSD, right? Yeah. And so BSD had a had an operating system called BSDOS, mm-hmm. right? Which is like a flavor of Linux kind of thing. Uh, they had kind of like created a software package that came integrated with Apache, the web hosting mm-hmm. architecture. When I was, ooh, before I went to university, I was like, I must have been 15. And I wanted to start an ISP in Kenya, uh, 95. I reached out because they were in a computer shopper magazine. There was like a ad for BSDOS. So, and they had, they were kind of shipping like a hardware software bundle. That was a turnkey, uh, ISP computer. So the idea was that you buy this computer for $15,000 or whatever, and it comes with 10 modems and you can start an ISP. Mm-hmm. So I was really interested in this cause I was one of the first people online ever in Kenya. And I called them, you know, and my voice probably at the time sounded like, hi guys, I'm a student in Kenya. I'm Canadian and I love what you're doing. And they were so amazed. We had like 10 conversations. My mom would call me from the kitchen. Somebody's calling from California. Who is this? <laughs> awesome. And, uh, and then they shipped me out a computer. I never actually started the ISP. I ended up going to university instead and moving to Montreal. But uh, they shipped me out a computer for free because the prof was so enamored with the fact that this Canadian kid sitting out in Africa wanted to use their solution. Uh, so it's really interesting. That's amazing. But that's the power of that open source community, right? And yeah. uh, the heritage of it residing in this uh, kind of peer-to-peer uh, culture from universities, mm-hmm. from, from educational institutions. Oh, they, they were the original remote ones. Uh, and remote was a requirement for how they operated because uh, like one university to another, to another, to another, you wouldn't bring everybody together working nine to five. Mm-hmm. You just had to work remotely over whatever network access they had and communicate. And they didn't have video conferencing and everything, especially back in early VSD days and all of that. And uh, even before that, ARPANET, we're starting to show age, uh, but uh, <laughs> like like they, they just had to operate in that mode. So maybe there's something to be learned from people who grew up doing it remotely i definitely uh, think so and i think these are stories that are not necessarily socialized today because no. a lot of that community didn't necessarily move into mainstream and in the commercial context no. uh even though a lot of that software now is being used mm-hmm. and relied upon for commercial work and uh yeah it's very interesting well maybe we'll be able to showcase more voices from the open source community on yeah. on this series yeah yeah yeah, it's, it's, it's worth uh, getting some attention. Uh, yeah. So much like, uh, I mean, crypto wouldn't have existed without the early days of open source and everything and all of the thinking and hypothesizing and all of that happened there, building distributed systems like that. So, so much we have today t- as thanks to uh, well, the whole web. open source. Dude, the whole web, right? The whole internet for the most part is thanks to open source. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So there we go. Even even if you look at the uh, languages, like I was, jo- I was joking at the gym, I think this morning with a developer who was working out in the session just before me. 
uh, we'd never talked. And I was like, hey, so what do you do for a living, man? And he's like, I'm a developer in biotech. I was like, whoa, okay, what do you do? Well, I do this biotech stuff. And I'm like, that's great, but you're a developer, so what do you develop? Software. And I'm like, that's awesome. What kind of software do you do? You know, all sorts of software for mobile apps and for the web. I'm like, great, what kind of languages? And now we dug in a little bit deeper. And he's like, Python and JS. And I'm like, Python? And I was like, Python only exists because of Symbian, the operating system for Nokia. And he was like, really? And I'm like, yeah, man. There's a lot of history yeah. in in looking at the evolution of software. Yeah. And and you're right. I mean, a lot of the, the tools that have existed for 20, 30 years that people are using and relying on um, have beginnings that are so uh, maybe obtuse that people using them today don't even care yeah. to, you know. And, and they were built for working remotely. So so like today we're like, okay, Zoom is our tool to work and communicate remotely. Yes, this is after a period of remote not being a thing. And then going way back, there was a period where that was the only operating model. You only work remotely with peers that were all over the world. Yeah. And uh, they, they did that originally. I think in that way, there's been an over-focus in, uh, in kind of the popular dialogue around dissecting efficacy of, of distributed work in the last couple of years. There's been a, a kind of a bias that's been a, a modern blinders bias. People haven't looked past the last five years of technology to say that, hey, nothing new came out of the pandemic in terms of collaboration software. There's like a little bit of eye candy on stuff, mm-hmm. but, you know realistically like i've been using skype i've stopped recently but i I was using skype back in 99 Mm -hmm. and like i mean that's a whole nother story Mm -hmm. this is apparently heiress to the throne like there's a king of sweden uh and the king's like niece came to mcgill and was at university with us and uh introduced us to skype because it was the p2p like you know dialing system that she used to call people over the internet and not pay international fees and then very quickly they rolled out video, mm-hmm. right? Before Microsoft bought Skype. Yeah. So, I mean, all this, a lot of this stuff is not new. It's oh. just uh, become popularized. It's been rehashed and, uh, and reskinned. And, you know, it's, it's great to have this chat because a lot of these tools people have been frustrated with for 20 years, you know? So though the popular media will kind of report on them being kind of a savior of efficacy in the last couple of years, uh, a lot of people, especially in the software community, have known... Uh, how to work with these tools and and have had to think beyond them, which is really the subject of this conversation. So it was really good to have you on to talk about, you know, culture and how you evolve that culture to make it a little bit more resilient in a hybrid environment. Mm -hmm. Um, And and it was a pleasure speaking. Likewise, likewise. Uh, Really enjoyable chat. Thanks for having uh, yourself on the show. Thanks for bringing yourself to the studio today. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome, man. Cheers. Cheers.